Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Straight to the Cup podcast. I am your host, Moses Ola, and folks, it is good to be back. It's good to be consistent. Is that me being consistent? I think that deserves a round of applause. Um, You know, this is actually the first back-to-back episode within a week that I've done since January? Huh? I'm not even giving you a lot of time to miss me anymore. God, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if that, I don't know if these episodes will hit the same if, if, um, if you hear me talking all the time, but listen, folks, we have a pipeline of episodes, um, in, in, in the works as we ramp up to the start of the NBA season on the 20th of October, how it comes so fast. You know, we have preseason, uh, due to end by this weekend, with most teams playing at least four or five preseason games. Um, and then we have opening night, tip-off, Lakers, Warriors. You know, these are the stuff that dreams are made of. But before we get into today's episode, what's in your cup, folks? What's in my cup today? Well, this is the thing. I actually wasn't planning on drinking today because I don't know how many of you can probably hear it, but I have a slight cold in my voice and... Uh, I've been hit left, right, center with illnesses over the past week. And so, you know, last week I had a chest infection recording last week's episode. Today I've had severe cold overdosing on Lemsip. So today I was not going to drink, but I looked at that bottle of Havana and it looked right back at me. And I was like, you know what? It wouldn't be the straight to the cup podcast if I had nothing in my cup. So today we have a bottle. I think I put it up on my story. We have a bottle of... Havana Club special, you know, this is uh, the rum that I was talking about on last week's episode, I had to make sure I got it in time for this week, um, but let me know what's in your cup, folks, you know, this, uh, I would always recommend this, what, I, what I've got in mind right now, you know, I won't even lie to you, it's, uh, it's only been two sips in and these boys, them boys are hitting, <laughs> I, won't, I won't even lie to you, them, them boys are hitting, let me even take another sip, Oh. Yeah. Okay, we 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 are in the mood to talk some basketball today. And folks, listen. I am very excited for today's episode. It's one that I've been looking at doing for a while because I think, you know, it's very easy for a lot of people to focus on a lot of the big names, you know, the Nets, the Lakers, the Bucks. You know, as we go into the season, people are definitely fixing on who's going to win the league, who's going to, um, you know, be, be, be champion at the end of the day. But you know what I love, love about basketball? It's not always about who wins, right? It's about the love of the game. It's about which teams are improving, which young guys are doing well, you know, which teams have gotten better, which front offices are doing their job, right? And, and today, this episode is called Falling Angels, Rising Stars, right? And, and and why do I want to look at the Falling Angels, Rising Stars? Because there has been a lot of change, right, over the summer, whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft, whether it's players holding out, not coming in. And, and, and folks, look, we have a lot to talk about on that, on, that, on that side of it. I do not want to spend today's episode focus on 
Kyrie and, and Ben Simmons, which is something I touched on in the last episode. Um, since we've had the updates this week, I'm sure a lot of you have probably seen some of your favorite pods or um, writers talk about that extensively. And honestly, at this point, I'm actually sick of both of them. Um, so I don't want to dedicate that time today to do that. What I do want to talk about are some of the teams that I believe are going to overperform expectations this season and the teams that are going to underperform. So the teams that I believe that are going to overperform, I want to call them my rising stars. And look, if, you, if you're a finance bro like me, <laughs> see, I'm officially a finance bro, do you know what I mean? Like, don't, 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 don't act like you know because I, I studied aerospace. That's not me anymore, yeah? I'm officially a finance bro. But if you're a finance bro like me, you would have heard the term falling angels, rising stars, right? What does that mean? When you have a financial index, let's say uh, the S&P 500, right? You have some companies that fall out of that index um, because they're not top 500 companies in the US. And then you have some teams that go into the index as they become one of the top 500 companies in the US. So similarly, which are the teams that performed well last year started, you know, at the mountaintop that I believe are going to be falling, right? My falling angels. And which are the teams that I believe that started from a low base, okay, and are going to rise, right, and become one of the top teams in the NBA, my rising stars. And and just, you know, explaining my rationale, I didn't really want to include a lot of the fringe teams, you know, some, so I'm going to mention some of the teams that did not make the cut. So, you know, Boston, Dallas, Minnesota, these are teams that I believe that are going to do better this year. But, right, the, the issue is really that they weren't either good or bad last year. They were middle of the pack. They might be better, but they'll probably still be middle of the pack, right? So there aren't, they aren't clear overperformers. They aren't clear underperformers. So today I really want to focus on the clear rising stars uh, and, and, and the clear falling angels, okay? And, and, and let's start with the rising stars. So the three teams in particular I want to talk about are the Chicago Bulls, the Toronto Raptors, and Golden State. And, and let's start with Chicago. So Chicago is a very intriguing team. You know, this team has not made the playoffs for how long? I think maybe seven seasons now. And um, look... They have the looming free agency of Zach Levine, somebody who has stated he wants to win, uh, became an all-star last year, is one of the best scorers in the league, has made that leap to a consistent, reliable uh, uh, threat night in, night out. And ultimately, he wants to win. He sees those around him from his draft class that have been able to win, and he wants to also put himself in that upper echelon of stars. And... Chicago, who uh, they got a new front office last year, recognized that for a team with that size of market, you know, with the fan reach, with their history, right, they cannot be a team that misses the playoffs year in, year out, okay? They have to be a team that contends. And and look, folks, folks think, yeah, that you either have to be a contender or you have to be... Um, Losing week in, week out, trying to get better draft picks, tanking. I don't believe in tanking. 
if you want to be a good team, you have to be able to show that you're able to win with what you have. And then you can eventually attract free agents. Then you can get people in the trade to improve and you can work from that base. I believe that the model of, look, we're not good, so we're just going to tank and give up. It's just too easy. It comes too easy for a lot of teams now to just give it up and not focus on, okay, how do we actually get better? So Chicago, last year, they finished 31 and 41. And it's funny how a team that finished, what, 10 games below 500 is in a win now mode. How does that make sense? So midway through last year, they added Nikola Vucevic in a, in a trade uh, with the Orlando Magic, which they sent their sixth overall pick, Wendell Carter, and some draft picks, actually, which actually ended up being the eighth uh, pick of this year's draft for um, an all-star in Nikola Vucevic. And that really was the first signal of, okay, Zach, we're going to try and build a team around you that we believe can win. Okay, because we do not want to lose in free agency and we want to prove to you that this team, this market, this franchise is one that you can win in. Okay, so they added Vucevic last year, but it did not really change their fortunes, okay? Um, they they become a worse defensive team. Uh, Zach Levine then had uh, time away from the team due to COVID protocols, and they couldn't make the play-in eventually, right? So it wasn't the outcome that they aimed, but that was at least step one to saying, look, we're going to improve the players around you, Zach. You know, you're not just going to be strapping up next to Kobe White and Wendell Carter and Larry Markin and, you know, rookies and first year guys, second year guys in the league that haven't really figured out their way whilst you're trying to win and you're still putting up all-star performances. So this offseason, what did they do? In came Lonzo Ball in a trade with Thomas Sataransky and I think a few draft picks. The DeMar DeRozan, Caruso, and Derek Jones Jr. And immediately, that puts them into one of the be- top top eight, nine teams within the East, right? Because when you're looking at a starting uh, lineup of uh, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine in the backcourt, DeMar DeRozan at the three spot, uh, potentially Patrick Williams at the fourth spot, and Nikola Vucevic at the five, that team just screams to me, high offense power, uh, balanced scoring, you know, it, these, these moves essentially raised the floor of the team, right? And, and I'm going to go into what I liked individually from each uh, edition. So starting with uh, probably the, I guess the biggest name that they added, which is actually DeMar DeRozan, you know, a proven guy in the league, multiple time all-star, not really somebody that is known to take you over the top, i.e., uh, challenging for for a championship, but definitely a floor raiser, right? Floor raising, reliable vet, good scorer, efficient, not highly efficient, but efficient enough on a nightly basis um, to be a plus player on offense, right? He has his defensive questions, but, you know, this is a high flyer, uh, good in the pick and roll, playmaker, definitely improved with that you know, in the uh, with with this in his time at the Spurs, and he's gonna come in as somebody that he can plug and play off ball on ball, um, you know, and and ultimately look, Chicago had to overpay for this dude, right? So you gave him four years, 
uh, 82 million, something like that in the range, when he was really projected to be a mid-level guy, right? So why, why would Chicago go for an overpay, essentially bidding against themselves? This is a team that hasn't won. This is a team that hasn't contended in years. How do you start off that and start getting, you know, the higher level talent, right? You can't. You have to overpay at the start. You know, look at um, the Knicks. Look at what they did with the addition of, um, uh, uh, what's this guy from from uh, the Boston Celtics? Um, but, you know, these, these are the sort of things that you have to do initially, when you are trying to become a contending team, okay? So I love the, the, the addition of DeMar DeRozan, even though I believe it was an overpay. On top of that, Lonzo Ball, look, New Orleans' David Griffin has a special price to pay in hell for, <laughs> for trading away Lonzo Ball for Thomas Santoraski and some biscuits, right? Because... I just don't know how you let a 23-year-old guard that is far away from his prime, been improving in his shooting, his three ball, and his free throw, and his free throws, you know, year in, year out, making, you know, getting better, you know, in, in half court, um, elite playmaker. This, I can go on and on about Lonzo. You know, what stands out to me about Lonzo, obviously, is his defensive capabilities. This is a guy that even in the point guard position can play on and off the ball, Right. Can, can play both guard spots, really. If you wanted to, you could play him at the two guard. Um, you know, three and D guy, catch and shoot guy. I just don't get what Griffin did not see, right? Because his concerns were, oh, how do I get this guy playing next to uh, Zion? And admittedly, yes, you know, with Zion not being a, 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 a good three-point threat, you need as much spacing as you can around him. But Lonzo had proven that he was getting better year in, year out. And to give him away for pretty much nothing, right, for pretty much nothing is is really where the issue um, was for me. I think New Orleans, look, I, I didn't even want to put them near this pod because I, I firmly believe they will, prob they will definitely be the worst team in the West. And they're only lucky that the Cleveland Ca Cavaliers and Orlando Magic and, you know, uh, other moribund franchises exist because they, to me, are, are the worst team in the league, right? Because, you know, Zion's not even healthy yet. Um, and, and the guy, if you see his, uh, some of the photos on media day, this guy's put on weight. You don't even know if those knees are going to, uh, you know, ha ha like literally last the, the entire season. You know, Brandon Ingram, he still doesn't look like he's bought into that franchise, bought into the system. They had a new coach. I just don't see where they're going. And that's all I'll really say about New Orleans because I want to, to, to keep the focus on the teams that are doing well, not the teams that are, are wetting the bed every single season, right? But, you know, the Chicago Bulls have added Lonzo Ball, elite playmaking projection, good 3 and D, on and off the ball. Um, I, I, I like him. I like him so, so much. And, you know, Caruso as well. Point of attack defender, 3 and D guy, vocal defensive leader. Look, it hurt being a uh, Lakers fan or a LeBron James fan, really, losing a player of the caliber of Alex Caruso. Ultimately, though, 
hey, AC needed to get paid, and he's getting thirteen million a year. Again, another overpay, but the Chicago Bulls are a team that wants to win now. And to win now from a low base, you have to overpay. So guys like Caruso coming in, look, this is a guy that's going to set the tone. If you have a Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso backcourt, you cannot be a bad team defensively. Because I've seen a lot of people say, look, you know, they don't know about the Bulls, how they're going to be defensively. They weren't that good last season. I'm telling you right now, if you have a ball Caruso backcourt, that raises your defensive floor instantly. I don't see them being an elite defense, but definitely middle of the pack, um, high teens, sorry, low teens, um, you know, between the 10th and 15th best team defensively. I can definitely see that because what does Caruso give you? I mean, um, I, I was actually seeing some videos on Twitter of people highlighting the things that I'd already seen last year, which is the way he navigates screens, his um, IQ on the court, being able to tell uh, members of his teams, you know, what spots to be, being himself at the right place at the right time, being a point of attack guy that can pick you up 94 feet, you know, a switchable, strong guard, big guard, right? Who's not going to be bullied. You can switch him out. I mean, look, Lonzo and Caruso, these are switchable guards that can play multiple defensive systems. What do I mean by that? If you ask them to chase, i.e. chase around screens, around off-ball shooters, they can do that. If you are, if you want them to be point-of-attack guys, i.e. picking up guys full 94 feet on the court from end-to-end, -end, they can do that. If you want them to defend in the post, switching against big man, I mean, you see Lonzo Ball, what he did against Larry Malkin in the preseason, he ate that boy alive. And listen, yes, it's Larry Malkin. The boy has no hands, no feet. He can't dribble. He can't, you know, what's that, Stephen? He, he has no talent. I understand. But the, 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 the idea is the same, right? You switch Lonzo onto forwards you switch him one through four i believe he'd be comfortable because what this is six 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 seven uh point guard right six six point guard i think you know caruso six five two guard this is somebody who you can ask to defend multiple positions and be comfortable and live with the results right you know he's not going to be putting his hands in the cookie jar he's not going to be gambling plays with high iq and i believe that look they will set the tone for the Bulls defensively, right? But the real, the real plus about this team and why I'm really high on them, offensively, my goodness. This team has a real chance of being one of the best offense in the league. Like top five, top 10 at least at the very minimum. But I think they can break into that top five barrier because if you look at the, cost, the construction of the team, the most important team uh, the most important reason I like this team is varied scoring. Varied scoring. They can score in the post with Vucevic. They have shooters, you know, Levine, uh, Ball, Vuce, all can shoot the ball comfortably. Caruso can shoot the ball comfortably. You know, I like, I like the, 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 the way they score. You know, Levine especially, three-level scorer, who can score on and off the ball. Look, DeRozan is not the best three-point shooter, and that's probably why his um uh, ceiling is raised, you know, because, look, he, he's a floor raiser, but his his ceiling is capped, I, I believe, um, because he's not an elite three-ball uh, shooter. But this is a guy 
who will um, do the dirty work, set screens. He can he can do the playmaking as well. So finding these high level shooters that are on the team, and you know his 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 spacing, I guess, is vertically. And, and, and this team's going to go out and run as well, especially when, you know, Vucevic's not on the court. They can go out, they can run, they can increase the pace, get more attempts per possession, right? And that's going to help them become a high offensive team. And, and, and I think, you know, if you have a middle-of-the-pack defense with a top five to top ten offense, you're not going to be a bad team. You're not going to be a bad team. And, you know, there are there are definitely questions that still remain for me though, right? And you know, look, the, the the main one really is probably their half court offense, right? So I think they're gonna be a good offensive team, but a lot of that might be in transition, right? You have Lonzo who's gonna run and gun, Caruso can run and gun, you know, DeMar DeRozan can run and gun, Levine can run and gun, right? Which is gonna help them with the transition offense, but slow them up in the half court. And then you're asking Lonzo to work through pick and rolls, which is not his main strength. You know, Caruso's not an elite playmaker. Then you're going to have to start leaning on the likes of DeMar and, and Levine probably finding his own shot in, in the half court. So that's probably where their struggles will lie. Um, and then also, you know, the front, of, uh, the front court defensively, I think they're a bit soft there with Vucevic at the center position. Um, he's not very athletic. He's not a good shot blocker. You can't really play switch, uh, switching offense with him. Um, but at the same time, you put Pat Williams next to him, and that might really help, right? I love Pat Williams. 6'9", 6'10", uh, switchable forward, extreme athlete, right? He needs to figure out his, the offensive side of his game, but he's NBA-ready on the defensive end, and that's going to help a lot with Vucevic. You know, you might even be able to play some minutes with Pat Williams at the five, okay? And that really, um, I think, would, would unlock the potential of this team uh, defensively, right? But, you know, an another question probably for me as well is, is their identity, okay? Do they want to be a run-and-gun team? If they're going to do that, they can't have one of the slowest guys in the league with them, right? In Nikola Vucevic, right? So it's about finding that balance, okay? If we're going to be a running on team, we have the players to do that. But then how do we incorporate Vucevic into that, right? Do we make him the trailer and we're waiting for him to come um, whilst we're already past half court? Or, you know, do we sit him out uh, and, and play some, you know, running gun lineups? So I think... Chicago really needs to choose an identity of how do we want to play? How do we want to get our buckets, right? So they have to incorporate Vucevic into that. Look, Vucevic has his strengths, right? But running up and down the court is not one of them. But in that trailing position, a la, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, he can be definitely open for the top of the key, uh, at the top of the key for, for wide open three-point shots when everyone's, you know, running in transition, um, you know, and, and then they're able to break the first line of offense and you have Vucevic there uh, at the top of the key, you know, waiting for that three ball, um, which is probably going to ca be cash money if we're really very, very, very honest. But um, yeah, I really, I really like the makeup of this team and I'm going to lock them in right now for the playing tournament. I am locking them in. I'm not putting them, I'm not putting them as as high as um, the top six team in the, in the league, but Oh, sorry, top 16 in the East, but they have a real chance. I think of anyone out of the Bulls, the Knicks, the Wizards, 
uh, the Pacers. So the teams that did not finish in the top six last year, uh, you know, Boston as well. So I, I, it's it's very hard for me to say that, look, this team is a lock for a top six because, you know, you, you would have to imagine Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Atlanta, uh, Miami and, and Boston, right, would, would probably take those top six spots. Um, but then, you know, Chicago has a real chance of being the seventh best team. And look, one of those teams that I mentioned, you know, Miami or Boston, they're bound, one of them is bound to fall out of the, of the top six, whether it's because of injury or cohesion because of change. And, you know, so many things can happen during the season. And I see the Bulls being more than ready to be the NBA surprise team, just like the Knicks were last year. So, you know, Watch out for this team because I think a lot of people are are, are really sleeping on them going into the season. But the team, the, the league is probably sleeping on the most. And I've got to say this right now. NBA, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up out of your sleep. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Wake up. Do you know why? Because the Toronto Raptors are coming. Let me just take let me just take a drink. Let, 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 me, let me take a drink. Let that all sink in. And I'll explain why. NBA, wake up out of your sleep. The Toronto Raptors ain't no joke. Ain't no joke. Okay, see, Toronto last year. They had a 27-45 record, 12th in the East, okay? 12th in the East, coming off a year which was really a transition year, right? They, they had lost their main core from the 2019 championship. You know, Ka- Kawhi had already left. Then, you know, the Soul left last year. Pretty much only Lowry was remaining. They weren't playing at home, okay? They were playing in Tampa, okay? Coming off the bubble, Okay, you know, they were unlucky with some injuries. All of, all of their starters missed at least 10 games last year. You know, so so this is a team that was going through a lot of transition. We didn't even know if Masai was going to be executive going into this season. I believe that that's been their biggest offseason achievement, extending his contract and making him pretty much... Uh, He's on the path to becoming part owner, and I think he, I think he got some equity in the in his latest deal. I need to, I need to, I need to uh, search that. But I believe that his latest extension got him some equity in the Raptors franchise, which is the minimum he deserves after bringing a chip to that city. But this team is coming, folks. This team is coming. Look, last year, for a team that. Made the playoffs, uh, what's uh, how many years in a row, right? And and for them to be able to 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 have not made the playoffs, that's a down year. Look, the the city of Toronto is used to at least being in the second round every single year for the past uh, at least half decade, right? So this is a team that is not used to to losing. They have one of the best coaches in the league, right? They don't want to lose. Masai doesn't want to lose. You know, even as bad as they were last year, you still saw how aggressive Masai was. I mean, at the start of the season, a lot of people thought if Giannis didn't resign, would 
with 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 Milwaukee, you know, the Toronto Raptors had a big chance. The Toronto Raptors had a really big chance of getting Giannis onto their team. So this this should show you really the ambition of Toronto is not to tank. Okay, even last year when they weren't that good, I still felt that um, they weren't really actively tanked until the final uh, 10, 11 games of the season where, you know, ultimately they're trying to get a better draft pick. But these this team were, were really unlucky. They were in a lot of close games last year that they couldn't finish off. The games that they did win, they, you know, they were one of the best teams with winning by wide margins. So that shows you that their point differential, you know, they, they want a hugely negative point differential team, right? Which shows that the underlying is that this team is still a good team. So what did they do this season? Well, after tanking the last 11 games of last year, they were able to get a high favorite draft pick. And with the fourth overall pick, they picked uh, Scotty Barnes, Scotty Beam, like I like to call him. Uh, they uh, got... Goran Dragic and Precious Achua in the uh, signing trade with Larry uh, out to Miami. And they were able to uh, re-sign Ken Birch on a three-year, $20 million deal. And what do I like about those moves? Immediately, the number one thing that stood out to me since the draft into preseason is this kid, Scotty Beam. Yeah, this Scotty Beam, Scotty Barnes guy is the truth. Okay, look, Masai's initial plan was to trade up, maybe to the third spot, try and get Evan Mobley. Because, I mean, look, if any of you have been watching the Cavs in preseason, Evan Mobley is the truth. But the good thing about this draft was it was stacked. Whether it was Jalen Suggs, whether it was Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, um, Evan Mobley, you know, Kaminga. I mean, this draft was stacked. But Scotty Beam... You know, maybe his parents saw the future and, and said, look, this guy, this guy is probably going to grow up and be like Scotty Pippen one day. Maybe we're going to give him the same name. But that is how he profiles out. Scotty Beam, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jack, uh, Michael, what am I talking about? Magic Johnson. These six, seven, six, nine point guards, really, um, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't, look and say oh this this is a this is somebody who who's godlike but if you see this kid play look he's a six seven point guard he can also play small forward because of his size and his athleticism you know he's a point forward really he could play even the, the fourth spot so he could play the one three and four spots currently and as his shooting improves you know this could be a guy that could play all the way one through four okay um and, and, and what do I like the most about him is just that same versatility that we're talking about. He's a good defender already, NBA-level defensive player who's switchable one through five. You can see him hounding guards 94 feet. You can switch him to anybody, literally anybody, and he'll be able to hold his own. You know, okay, maybe not against Embiid, maybe not against Giannis, not against the high elite big men of our league ad for example but you put him onto wings you can put him onto guards and i love i love his his winning mentality i mean you see you um i, I saw something what 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 kyle kuzma said about him is about you know you, you already see the the communication how vocal he is how much he wants to win how tenacious he is 
Okay, I love the tenacity, especially in a city like Toronto, in a team like Toronto, where you've got to fight for your minutes, man. Like, if you're not playing well, Nick Nurse will bench you and he will not care. So coming into that team as a rookie and being able to show that confidence of, I'm going to pick up this guy 94 feet and show him that I am a problem. I'm going to shout at my teammates who aren't there. I mean, I was watching the highlights against uh, the Celtics and one of his teammates missed the rotation. And he's seen this kid already complaining. It's like most rookies in that position wouldn't, would be scared to call out their teammates. But this kid wants to win, okay? And, and you know, that's just the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, offensively, look, the shot isn't there yet. And it... Hopefully it comes, but you never know. These things don't always project, but I believe that they're going to put in, you know, the same work that they did on Siakam and OG. They're going to put him through the same routine and the shot's going to come. But the thing that separates him is that playmaking. <laughs> Look, passing comes easy to a pure hooper. Yeah? Word to ball don't stop. Passing comes easy to a pure hooper. And Scotty Beam, Scotty Barnes, Scotty, whatever his name is, is a pure hooper because that boy can pass that thing. And that's what, look, it is harder in this league. It is harder in this league to get eight assists in a night than it is to score 20 points. I promise you that. And I will always say for a rookie coming to the league, Give me an, a rookie that can average five, six assists over a high-volume uh, scoring, non-efficient rookie that's going to give you the 15 points and it's going to look great and it's going to be snarling like Tyler Hero and stuff. But then that peters out. And when what happens? People figure you out. And then what happens? Scotty Barnes is a good playmaker who will become elite. The way he passes, the vision, the touch... The timing, you don't see that in rookies. You don't see that in rookies. And this kid, this kid has the potential to be an average to average a triple double. He 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 his his play style is um is balanced. He plays within the pace of the game. Okay, you see Toronto when they have they give him the ball at the top of the key in some of their sets. And they ask him to initiate offense in his first, like, month with the team. That shows you the confidence that they have in him. Shows you the confidence he has in himself, right? And, and look, Nick Nurse is going to design a beautiful offensive system with cutters, with, you know, off-ball shooting, you know. This kid has the opportunity to be the rookie of the year. And I'm even going to lock, I'm locking it in. Scotty Beam, Rookie of the Year, okay? Um, because if you look at guys like Cade Cunningham, they're going to be in a team that's just not good enough, right? Jalen Green, again, in a team that's just not good enough. Evan Mobley, in a team that's just not good enough. And I think Scotty Beam is going to be able to show his talents on a winning team, okay? So that's what I like about Scotty. But what about some of the guys that are already there? OG Ananobi, for example. I love OG, not just because he's Nigerian, not because, not just because he's a London hooper. Grew up here in the UK, moved out to the States and has been balling. But he has taken a big leap. 
Okay, and look, if I say Scotty's going to be rookie of the year, OG's going to be most improved, and he's the most improved favorite going into the season because from what I've been seeing from this guy, he's been taking more shots. I mean, he has that confident three ball off the dribble, step back, side step, however you want it, I'm going to give you it. Calling ISO plays. Look, this, this guy, two, three years ago, I hated his handle. I was like, Keep the ball away from OG. Just go stand in the corner, spot up, shoot shoot your threes, play good defense. But you'd always seen the potential through college of that handling ability, but he needed to get that handle to be a bit tighter, you know, um, to project from college level to the NBA is not easy, okay? Because you have less time on the, on the ball, you have less margin for error. And um, look, OG has improved this offseason. The way he's creating his own shots, creating shots for others, he's confident that three balls will improving every single year. I mean, what stands out to me, remember in the bubble, he got that game-winning uh, buzzer beater against the Celtics in game six. This is a guy that lacks no confidence whatsoever. Right? So, look, OG is going to take that leap um, and he's going to be great. I think he's going to be most improved player in the league. Going to be most improved player in the league because, and the, and the defense still there. Okay, defense still there. As 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 more as he goes grows into the season, become look. This is why I, I like about OG. <laughs> when he makes shots, sometimes he's like, "Wow, I can't believe I made that." Maybe it's just his lack of expression because he's not the most expressive person. But sometimes he's like, "You're like." Wow, I can't believe I made that shot, right? But this is the thing, OG, you're that guy. And the more he believes and recognizes himself that, oh, hang on a minute, I am that guy, that confidence is going to relate into better scoring. You know, even, even he's going to dare to dare himself to do more, okay? And he's going to add to their scoring capabilities because, look, Siakam struggled last year being a number one option. Right, so OG can help reduce some of that burden, and if you have another threat on the ball, that also then creates space for guys like Van Vliet, Dragic, you know, Scotty as well, who's um, athletic in his own right. So watch out for OG for that leap that he's going to take. And look, if you look at that trio of OG, Scotty Beam, um, Siakam, okay, that is a team that has the potential to be an elite defense, elite defense, because those three wings are going to give you hell, hell fire, hell fire, because you call for a switch and you go from OG to Scotty, you call for a switch and go from Scotty to Siakam, take your, like, it's like, pick your poison, they're going to clamp you, it's just, which one do you want? Especially with that Nick, Nick Nurse system, where they do a lot of the trapping and they do a lot of the high pressure on the ball. They're not going to give you an inch. Not going to give you an inch. And then you add to it pressure to Chua. 6'8 center. I don't like my centers being small. I was having a conversation about Bam Adebayo the other day. I don't like my centers being small. But the good thing it gives you, especially in today's NBA, is switching. Okay? And that's what Toronto has always done. Um, in high leverage moments, execute a switching offense with the traps, um, with the rotations. Okay, so Chuo also adds to that, right? So this is a team that can be 
definitely a top 10 defensive team in the league. But some questions remain, especially in scoring. Do they have enough with Siakam as the number one? Last year, they did not. So we have to see what the improvement in OG relates to in terms of, look, how many shots is OG going to get, right? Van Vliet needs to step up as well, okay? You know, Dragic's probably going to start running some of the bench unit. That's going to help with the bench scoring because I like guys like Gary Trent off the bench. Um, but as a whole, as a unit, do they have enough scoring, right? And, 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 and that starting lineup, right, do you want to put Scotty Beam in there or do you want to put Dragic, right? Who do you want to put in there? Because you start Dragic, you probably improve the offensive uh, capabilities of the starting lineup because you have secondary playmaking with Van Vliet. Bit weaker defensively, but Dragic's a bona fide offensive talent, right? But then it's, at the same time, you have to look towards the future. Are we doing well putting our fourth overall pick from uh, Steinem off the bench? Probably not. Okay, so that's a question that needs to answer. And then rim protection. You know, between Ken Birch, Pressa Chris Boucher, you know, the, the Raptors had the worst center depth in, in the league last year with um, Alex Len and uh, what was this guy? Aaron Baines. I've been forgetting names all day. The guy I was talking about with the Celtics with the Knicks was Evan Fournier, wasn't it? But probably the Havana Club. <laughs> but yeah, that 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 center depth isn't good, especially from a rim protection standpoint. Okay. And I think that that's where they will be weakest, right? But the good thing is they have the wings that are going to be that first line of defense. Some of these wings are switchable as well, okay? But they probably wouldn't be able to stop the likes of, you know, the elite big men in the league, the Yanises, the MBs, the ADs, you know, the, the freight trains in the league, like the LeBrons, um, you know, the guards that score efficiently in the paint, like the Westbrooks, okay? So those are the questions that, that, that are there. But ultimately, this team is a play-in lock, and I'm going to lock them up. I think I think they're in again that seven eight range. Don't expect them to be ninth, and and I I, I really believe that they can make the playoffs. I really believe they can make the playoffs because out of them, the Bulls, the Knicks, I have them just all within that seven to ten range, and it's going to be, you know, on the day who can win a playoff series, right? Who can win a one playoff game? Okay, so. Really high on the Bulls, really high on the Raptors. And the final team that I believe is going to be a rising star, not because they're not already stars, but just because they've just been really unlucky, okay, is the Golden State Warriors. Now, you know, Golden State, um, last year, they were a 39-33 and 33 win team. They had Steph Curry go absolutely ballistic bananas, averaging 32 points per game, but they were still the 20th offense in the league. They still didn't make the playoffs. How does a team with Steph Curry putting in a top three MVP caliber season not make the playoffs? It shows you that this team was really far away. 
But look, they're looking to contend again this year. Especially with the looming return of the second Splash Brother, Clay Thompson. And everything really hinges on Clay's return. Okay? But let's actually look at how good can this team be even without Clay. Because for them to have a chance to be a rising star, to be a top playoff team, they need to be good without Clay. They need to be a top four team. If Clay did not come this season, they still need to be a top four team. Because Clay then puts them over the top to become a title contender. Because Golden State aren't just trying to make the playoffs. This is a team that's already won three chips in the past five, six years. So, you know, this is a team that has to do better, much better than they did last season, but really has to be a contender even without Clay Thompson. So, what did they do to address some of their shortcomings last year? In came Otto Porter Jr. on a minimum, on a minimum deal, on a minimum. Nemanja Bielica, look, solid player, but he couldn't crack the Heat rotation, couldn't crack the Kings rotation. You can't crack, crack the Kings rotation. How good really are you? They picked uh, Kaminga Moody with the 7th and 14th picks. They re-signed Andre Gadala, who's coming back on a vet minimum. Avery Bradley as well is potentially going to take away uh, their, their 15th spot on the roster if they're willing to play the tax. And of course, like I've already mentioned, Clay Thompson's going to make his return probably around Christmas time. And that in itself is going to feel like a new signing. But what do I really like about this team going forward? You know, number one, starting with the, some of the incomings, I think the one that stands out, you know, most of out of all the incomings is definitely Otto Porter Jr. This is a guy that I know a lot of Laker fans thought, oh, we just need to add him and Buddy Heald and re-sign Schroeder and then we can make the chip. Let me tell you right now, Lakers, that's not enough. And... Westbrook is better than Otto Jr. and Buddy Heald. But I see the merit and the thinking. Because what does OPJ give you? I mean, for the minimum, he's a steal. He's already outplaying his contract from day one. He's a 3 and D wing that's going to provide you spacing. But the big question is, can he stay healthy? He's not really played many games over the past two years. I think last season, what did he play? Like 20, 30 games? But when he's played so far in preseason, you have seen why still a lot of teams were looking to sign him, right? That three balls there, he's a 35, 38% uh, plus uh, shooter from deep. He can shoot uh, in the corner, above the break. Um, can play good defense. Look, this is a guy... He just plug and play, especially especially for Golden State's offensive system. Because, I mean, as you saw last year, Golden State's offensive system is not changing. Why would it? You have probably, arguably, the best offensive talent to ever play the game of basketball in Steph Curry. So everything has to revolve around him. And that's why Wiseman couldn't adjust. Um, that's why a lot of the young guys couldn't adjust last year. But now you know that 
you, you're seeing some of these guys buy in to the fact that with Steph Curry, what you need to do is play some 3 and D, set screens, move off the ball, and hustle. And I think they're going to get that from Otoporo Jr. But then, again, how good can they be without Clay? Everybody's got to step up. And that includes Jordan Poole. And I really like Jordan Poole. So Jordan Poole was a 28th pick in the draft. Coming now into second year in the league. Um, Somebody who who really struggled uh, initially, okay? Because he had the, 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 the task of filling in the Clay Thompson void. I mean, nobody ever thought he would be in that position. But now, second year in the league, this kid as well is another candidate for most improved. If you see what he's done in preseason, I mean, he dropped 30 on the Portland Trailblazers. By the way, the Portland Trailblazers, we need to have an emergency pod soon. Because if you're losing by 50 in preseason, by 50, you are not going far. You are not going far. As much as I want to give Jordan Poole credit for scoring 30 in Portland, I mean, goodness me. But I like Jordan Poole. I like the fact that he's more confident on the ball, off the ball. He's a threat. I mean, you see how he's snatching ankle. The thing, what he what he did to Wayne Ellington the other day, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That was nasty. In, out. Step back, three, fade away. Oh, nasty. Nasty. And that comes from the confidence of playing around Steph, getting the green light from Steve Kerr, being able to let... I mean, this this kid takes half-court shots like he's... I mean, this is the thing. Once you have that confidence... and, And look... The, the original Splash Brother might not be there, but this, this kid, he can be like a little uh, puddle brother or something, you know, like some, some he's, he's still wet. He's still, he's still getting wet. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not clay, but I think in that backcourt of Steph Curry, Jordan Poole, they got something. Obviously, Jordan Poole's got to take on that defensive um, task night in, night out. But with Draymond Green quarterbacking, you've got Autoporo Jr., you've got An- uh, Andrew Wiggins as well, who's improved on the defensive end. I think that he can fit right into that starting lineup. And then the number one thing is the Splash Brothers are back. And they're back to anywhere near the levels that we've seen them before. Golden State can win the entire thing. No joke. No joke. Because Steph Curry's that guy. I believe Clay Thompson's still that guy. Draymond Green's still that guy. And these kids, I mean, not kids now, they're old men, seasoned men, experienced men. These guys are hungry to prove themselves again. You know, so 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 that's what I really like. But the, obviously, you know, look, like with the teams I mentioned before, some questions still remain. Outside of Steph, can they get enough consistent scoring? Andre Wiggins, can you step up and be that guy? Even though you won't take the shot, can you take the shots in the game? 
That's what that's what matters. I believe that he can. I believe that he will. I believe that their scoring is going to improve this year compared to last year. Especially with Clay coming back. I believe their secondary playmaking is going to improve. Iggy as well can run to the bench, can run the bench unit. Um, once Clay's back, Paul can slide back to the bench. You know, you've got Wiseman as well coming to second year in the league. I think Wiseman's going to be better. So, yeah, maybe they can get enough scoring outside of Steph this year. But they're still weak in other areas, especially rebounding. This is a small team. Draymond Green said it before. They don't play with traditional bigs, which meant that they didn't get... They were the worst team in offensive rebounding last year, which meant they didn't get enough shots, really. Defensively as well, they're going to be bad on the boards, especially come playoff time. Second point, uh, second chance points are going to kill them. Going to kill them. But ultimately, we know Golden State. If you get into a scoring, if you get into a scoring race against them, you might be cooked. But I, I really think. Look, even if Clay wasn't back, I really think this team's a top four seed. Because you have questions about Denver, you have questions on Utah. You know, Dallas haven't really done much to improve last year. So if you if you think the locks really in the, in, in the West are Phoenix, the Lakers, I think the Warriors are right there. They're right there. And once Clay comes back, you might you can even you can make the argument that they're number one. You can make the argument. I think right now probably Phoenix still are. Lakers have to do a lot to get to improve on the chemistry, cohesion, new offensive system, getting healthy. Golden State are right there. Um, and, and I think, you know, they're going to be a real rising star this year. And I expect Steph Curry to ball out again. Be in the MVP discussion. All NBA again. Okay? And, and this team is ready to make a run. They probably won't even play a lot of these young guys. Give them time to develop. Don't have to rush them in like you did with Wiseman last year. You know? These guys now have training camp compared to last year where they didn't, you know. So different makeup, different environment. I think they're going to be better. Now, I wanted to, I purposely spent the majority of my time talking about the rising stars because I think that's where you have the most intrigue. But I do want to touch on some of the falling angels. The Sixers, Utah Jazz, and the heat. And I'm going to be brief with Philly because we think that their problems are quite known. And, and the fact is that they haven't addressed any of the issues from last year. Which was secondary playmaking. Alongside Embiid and Simmons. Who can help felicitate offense and make Simmons a role threat. Make him work a bit more off the ball. The team still ain't going to respect him on the ball with his lack of jump shooting. They missed on Kyle Lowry, which I've already said is the reason they're here in the first place. Should have got him. You know, maybe they can still get Harden in free agency. Maybe they can get Lillard. But they haven't changed for us last year. Ben Simmons has come back to work. But how do his teammates feel about that? Is the locker room still going to be there? Is their chemistry there? The bench, still the same issues. Tyrese Maxey and Korkmaz and Shake Milton. I mean, part of the reason they lost the Atlanta Hawks series was you take Embiid, Simmons, and starting five off the court, 
they had nothing. And Doc was so brain dead to not recognise that his bench doesn't have to lose you 15 points before you bring your starters back in. But ultimately, you can't really trust some of those guys. These are young guys. They were a top seed in the East last year. They're not going to be a top seed in the East this year. No way. They'll be lucky if they're a top six seed. I mean, if Embiid's healthy, they, they have to be. But can you count on that health? Can you count on him to play 82 games? Obviously not. Can he play 75, 77? You know, when does Simmons get integrated into the team? Is it after five games, after 10 games? What's your record then? Five and five? I think I think the 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 Sixers are very intriguing, very intriguing um, outfit this year. You know, the fans when Simmons comes back, they're gonna be booing the heck out of him. Is that an environment that you can play the best basketball? I don't think so. So it'll be interesting to see what the response really is from Daryl Morey. What can you do in the off season? Okay, can you get yourself a point guard? that can play alongside Simmons and Embiid? Can Embiid stay healthy? Is Simmons going to shoot shots from outside three feet? They haven't solved those questions. So they're definitely going to be a falling angel this year. Another one, Utah Jazz. Utah have done nothing, nothing to address the recurring issues that plagued them last year in that Clippers series. I mean, that game six was one of the worst basketball I've ever seen a playoff team play in my entire life. What were they outscored by? It was, it was, they were scored by nearly double. I think it was like 46 to uh, 16, 20. It was, it was something ridiculous in the third and fourth quarter of that, of that, of that closeout game. It was embarrassing. Getting beat by the same way over and over and over and over again and making no changes. It was disgusting. For a top team in the West, the number one seed in the West, to go out on their sorry ass. You're telling me that without Kawhi Leonard, you can't even take it to a game seven at home? Disgrace. Disgrace. You're letting guys like Terrence Mann cook you? Disgrace. And I've said this before. Look. Rudy Gobert is one of the best defense defenders in, of, of his generation. Last year, he was not my defensive player of the year. He was not my defensive player of the year. And I hope some voter fatigue or whatever it is kicks in because that man needs to stop winning that trophy. Not because he's not a capable defensive player of the year, not because he's not one of the best defenders in the league, but my goodness, the way he was hunted because of the Jazz system was horrible to watch and i feel i actually feel sorry for gobert don't even get me wrong I, I i think he's a great defender and what he does he's the best and what he does he's probably one of the best of all time up there with hakeem um ewing uh 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 duncan david robinson ad uh kevin garnett some of the best rim protectors bill russell of all time gobert's up there but my goodness, you get that man switched out on anybody and he is toast. He just, I mean, KD said it best. How can the defensive player of the year get hunted in the playoffs? But again, it's not all Gobert's fault. It's the fault of the system. Why can none of Utah's 
perimeter defenders keep anyone in front of them. Jordan Clarkson, toast. Bogdanovich, toast. Conley, toast. Mitchell, toast. I mean, look, Mitchell at best is a mediocre defensive player. And for somebody that's taking away 17% of your cap, projected to take over 20% of your cap space, projected max contract player, can he be a mediocre defender? I don't think so. Can the Utah Jazz win with Gobert and Mitchell taking 40% of the cap? I don't think so. Rudy Gobert is due $46 million in 2026 with no option. No, There's no player option, no team option. That $46 million in 2026 is guaranteed. Can you win with Gobert and Mitchell? I don't think so. And what did they do? Nothing. They added Rudy Gay, a couple of other guys brought by Royce O'Neal and you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it just these are fringe moves. The good thing I do like is what they've done with D-Wade in the front office. I mean, I saw him the other day sitting next to Tim Cook and stuff. And all you can believe is that they're setting themselves up for a future where they can start attracting guys to come play with Donovan Mitchell. But for that to happen, Donovan Mitchell has to take that leap. He has to be effective one of the best players on both sides of the ball look the utah jazz are a falling angel they're not going to fall too far they're still going to be a top five top six seed in the west but when it comes to the playoffs they're washed i don't want to hear about them i don't want to talk about them i don't want to look at them i don't want to smell them i don't want to hear anything about the utah jazz once it gets to the playoffs they're getting their they're getting their butts kicked and going back home with that same roster they ain't doing nothing they do niche. And, and and probably a team that's the most opposite in that sense, i.e. going to be worse in the regular season, but better in the playoffs, which is why I have them as a falling angel, is the Miami Heat. Miami. Last year, middle of the pack team. Finished with a standing of 40 and 32. Finished sixth. They weren't really... I guess what you say, a top angel. They weren't at the peak. They weren't at the mountaintop. But you have to realize this is a team that got to the 2020 finals. This is a team that a year ago this month was in, were, were in the game six of the NBA finals. Last year, they had the issues with the, uh, coming off the bubble with a shortened uh, offseason, just like the Lakers did. They were bounced out in the first round. Lakers bounced out in the first round. Definitely a function, a function of... Lack of rest, fatigue. Some of the young guys didn't kick on. Tyler Hero, for example. But I still don't have them rising this year. In the regular season. In the regular season. I have to repeat, in the regular season. Why? Miami's an intriguing team, right? But they have no specialties offensively on a whole. They don't have any elite scorers. They're well-rounded. But then they have limited depth, right? So it makes no sense, right? Because, look, if you are going to be a well-rounded team with no elite scorer, with no real guy night in, night out that can give you 30, 25, whatever it is, then you have to share the wealth. But if you haven't got enough guys to share the wealth with, then how good really can you be? You know, what What did they do in the offseason? They added Kyle Lowry. 
They extended Robinson and Jimmy. They got PJ Tucker. They got Oladipo. They added Markeith Morris. I mean, Oladipo, you don't even know what kind of player they have left with that. Markeith struggled with, with the Lakers. Maybe a change of scenery can help him, but he's a good vet. What I did like about their, their, their additions is this is a good veteran team that will be playoff ready. But for them to be playoff ready, they have to be healthy. And the team with limited depth, to be healthy, you've got to rest some of your big guys, right? Which means that they're going to struggle in the regular season. I mean, how much of the burden can fall on the shoulders of Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson and, you know, some of the young guys that they do have? Right? So, so this is the issue with Miami. I don't think they're a bad team. I think when it comes to playoffs, when the rotation, rotation shorten and, uh, you know, depth no longer becomes as much of an issue, they're going to be good. In the regular season, where depth is required over an 82-game stretch... I don't see them being that good because they're going to have to limit some of the minutes of their veteran guys. So that the, Because the, num, the number one, the only way the Miami Heat have a chance of winning anything this year is if they go into the playoffs with everybody fully healthy. And that has to be the number one priority for this team. And that will be the number one priority for this team. Which means that in the regular season, you're going to be affected. Right, and I don't think Miami's really gonna care about standings. I think they they might want to avoid the playing. But sometimes when you're too close to that seventh seed, that's where the issues start happening, right? Look, do I see them being better than Milwaukee? No. Do I see them being better than Brooklyn? No. Do I see them being better than Boston? No. You know, I'm not even that high on Boston. But what I think that I like about Boston, at least, right is that they have a lot of young guys, better depth, I think, um, and, 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 and their star players can play the full 82 games, night in, night out. They can play them 38, 40 minutes because they're young. They've got more in the tank. Um, and it's not as simple as that. It's not just one plus one. But I do believe that the, the fact that this Miami team is going to have to pace themselves to be ready in time for the playoffs is going to be a big reason why they're not that good in the regular season, okay? But come playoff time, healthy, this team's a problem. This team's a problem. This team's a problem. The only thing I would say, look, th this team's strength is going to be defensively. Okay, Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bama Adebayo. No weaknesses defensively there. Okay, I would say the only thing is in an in a, in a East that's dominated by elite bigs, Giannis, KD, and Bede, Bam is going to struggle at that size, okay? At that size, he's going to struggle because the rim protection won't, won't necessarily be there against the likes of Giannis and Embiid especially. But then at the same time, you've got a team that will be able to send double teams. I mean, PJ Tucker's going to be there. He can take up a lot of the matchups. You can switch out Bam onto anybody, really. Butler, Lowry's going to be there. I mean, that that four right there. It's going to be a it's going to be a big challenge for teams to score over them. But then it's then going to be a big challenge for Miami to score themselves. Okay, because Lowry definitely adds that playmaking that I think that they were missing when they made the NBA Finals. You know, but. They still don't have a guy who I can trust on a night 
nightly basis to go out there and give me 30, go out there and give me 35, 40. You know, sometimes that's what it takes in the elite playoff game. Look, Jimmy Butler can be that guy, but it's not his natural profile. I mean, we saw in the in the, in the finals, he emptied the clip, emptied the tank, you know, even outplayed LeBron James for some of those games. But, hey, hang on a minute. <laughs> there's Giannis, there's Middleton, there's KD, there's Harden. Look at the scorers that you're up against. As good as you can be defensively, can you shut out Brooklyn? Can you shut out Milwaukee? I mean, Brooklyn and Milwaukee have two of the best offenses to ever exist, ever exist. No one can really shut them out. So it becomes a, can you outscore them? I don't think so. I don't think so. So very intriguing team. Very, very intriguing team. Don't expect them to be good in a regular season um, or as good as some of the other teams around them. But come playoff time, hey, <laughs> this team's going to be cooking. You know, it's going to depend on a lot on favorable matchups, right? If they can, if they can land on a favorable favorable spot where they only have to go through one of um, Brooklyn and Milwaukee, or somehow Brooklyn and Milwaukee face each other uh, at the start of the playoffs, you know, first round, second round. If that happens, then they have a better chance. But if they have to, if they find themselves having to go through both of them, they have no chance. Okay, um, but but yeah, that's that's probably why I wanted to leave it up to. Uh, today there's some other French teams you know Minnesota I didn't really uh, get chance to really go into depth about that I think they're going to be a better team than they were last year did I see them making the play in depends on how good Carl Anthony Towns is going to be depends on how good Carl Anthony Towns is going to be you know entering his sixth seventh year in the league something like that can you be an old NBA guy can you raise the profile of some of the players around you like Edwards like Russell like a Kogi like Vanderbilt, you know, I, I like Chris Finch, their manager, but, you know, it, uh, it has to come, it has to come together, okay, it has to come together, you have to be greater than the sum of their parts, okay, but but this is where, that's where I'm going to leave it at today, Um, you know, folks, look, we have a lot of basketball talk to get into, um, we have the preseason ending this weekend, and I plan to to be live um, after the end of the preseason. So please make sure you stay plugged in to all our socials. So at Straight Cup on Twitter, at Straight to the Cup on Instagram. Um, you know, folks, we have an exciting lineup coming your way throughout the entire season. We're going to go into some of our picks. Uh, ahead of the season, so our season primers, who we think are MVP, Defense Player of the Year, which team do I expect to win it all? You might be surprised when I say that. But make sure you keep yourself uh, active on the socials and, and tell me your thoughts on some things that I talked about today. And uh, I'll see you soon on the next episode of the Straight to the Cup podcast. <laughs>